Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Kana Supers family. Very special show today. We're, we're mixing it up from the boring Wolves off-season stuff for some, for some fun. Um, for a special guest, uh, a, a man who is making waves, in my opinion, with, with one of the best new podcasts around. His name is Matt Issa. The, the podcast is Quest for the Best. We will talk about that, and we'll talk about some, some Wolf stuff, some Kevin Garnett, just some, some off-season fun rather than the, the drab that we're kind of going through at the moment. So, Matt, how's it going, man? It's going good, Jake. Um, I appreciate the kind words, but I want to correct you on one thing. Um, I would say the T-Wolves are like kind of like the bulls of the Western Conference where everyone's like really interested in them. So I feel like you guys are having a pretty fun <laughs> offseason. So I don't know. It's it's either it's, it goes one way or the other with Minnesota. They're either uh, interested in seeing whether they can finally become good or interested in seeing how bad they will be this season. So I don't know where I'm at really. I think I, I always err on the side of, of confidence, but... Um, We'll start with with your new podcast, Quest for the Best. I was lucky enough to be a part of it, and I think even if I wasn't, I'd be very interested to to see how it unfolds and and how you work through the process. So I guess, in your own words, what would be your kind of synopsis for for the podcast? Yeah, I guess like my Don Draper uh, Mad Men elevator pitch would be uh, the Quest for the Best is a six part podcast series, and it, it seeks to be the most thorough and up to date top 10 ranking of the greatest players in NBA history um, yet created. But uh, so, yeah, I like I kind of tell it in it's kind of like a storybook, an audiobook. My buddy Bryce Hendricks kind of mm-hmm. related it to that. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I always fancied it that way, but I never said it out loud because, you know, what if what if it didn't sound like a storybook? So then I just, I just <laughs> keep it to myself until somebody made the point. But um, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I mean, I did 71 interviews. I got to interview you for the series. Um, I did a bunch of like players, coaches, media members. I talked to a couple executives and I really try to combine all the different schools of thought with basketball. You know, the people that are really in X's and O's, people are really in analytics, people who are really into like the, the journalism side of things, like the on the boots reporting, on the ground reporting. Um, and I create my own stat um, to help augment some of the research for this series. So we get to talk about that a little bit in there. But um, I, I think it's I think it's a really cool ride. Uh, I make a lot of like pop culture references in there. I don't know if if you caught that from listening, but I think that's always like a fun yeah. thing, like to point out, like oh, you know, he's referencing that or that. But that's just me. Yeah, and I think that the thing that intrigues me the most about it is that when you think of top ten lists, and and I think if the mind first goes to like NBA Instagram or you know like twelve year olds on Twitter. But the, the difference, the huge difference with yours, because I don't want to compete to that at all. Because I'm not 12. Is the research yeah. that you, 
<laughs> um, the research that you put into it um, and the, the hours that you said, the interviews, like the just the canvassing of the league and of different personalities and different opinions around the league. I just think that that was, first of all, so impressive and must have opened your eyes and your mind to just like a whole new world of basketball. Like how, what was the main thing I guess you learned just even if it's not regarding the top 10 in terms of like just interviewing all these people and talking about all this stuff, like what was the, the thing that I guess sticked with you the most? Um, the thing that sticks with me the most is, you know, I still have a long way to go. I still have so much to learn and it made me so excited to, yeah. to become a better historian, a better student of the game. Cause you talk to a lot of people and like, they say things like to you, like, and you know, I've, I like to think that before I started conducting these interviews, I had like, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of research backing me up before I came to these conversations and people would still say something that was kind of like, whoa, I never like thought of it like that. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, I need to keep getting better and better as a writer, as um, a scout, as, you know, a storyteller. So I think that's this, the main takeaway because, I mean, this at the end of the day is a series about extraordinary human beings. And so like for them to reach the level they did to be in a conversation like this, like they continue to beat at their craft. And I think that's something that I myself need to do. Yeah. Um, qu quick one. And I don't want you to put anyone on the spot or, or kind of disregard anyone here, but who was your favorite interview or who was the person who I guess like intrigued you the most when you spoke to them? Okay. So there's, you asked kind of two questions there, my favorite and most intriguing. And yeah. there's, yeah. there's two different answers to that one. My favorite is, is it like a deadlock tie between, um, Bob Ryan and Dean Oliver, because like, I feel like they're both like two, like the, the grandfathers, the godfathers of their respective, like, like philosophy of basketball. Like, so like, you know, Bob Ryan's like the, the father of modern day sports journalism, while Dean Oliver is like the father of analytics and basketball. And like, you know, part of me is like, I mean, I wish I was just a little bit cooler so that I wasn't like in awe of them the whole time they were talking and maybe I would have soaked in just a little <laughs> bit more information, but, um, they, I mean, that was like the, be the the most fun. Bob was actually the the second person I interviewed for this series. So having like him as someone to say like, okay, yeah, I talked to Bob Ryan. Will you please talk to me? That was such a huge help. And like people even told me, he's like, honestly, like, you know, I saw that you talked to Bob Ryan. That's why I said I would talk to you. You know, it's not like, it's not because I, yeah. I liked you or anything, you know? So <laughs> that was so helpful and then of course like he's seen everything like he's been around almost as long as the game has and so that was it's hard not to learn a, a lot yeah. from a guy like that yeah and then dean is just like i mean i don't know if you ever read his book um basketball the game on paper but um he's he's a genius no i haven't yeah. i haven't he's basically i always say he's like um he's the bill james of the nba so that was like a cool experience but the most intriguing one to me and i i've said this so many times like every podcast i've been on talking about this is like obviously he's a head coach so he is extraordinary and very smart but like coach fran mccaffrey over at iowa is just like on a whole different level iq wise because like you know you talk to a lot of coaches and the thing is they know the game so so well but like they can't always articulate it to like you know layman like me and you but like mm. coach fran mccaffrey was kind of like this hidden like tony romo type figure in basketball where he's like he's teaching me things and like it makes sense the way he explains it but like he elucidates like the most complex like aspects of the game for me and he kind of just like you know dumbs it down for just an ordinary journalist like myself so yeah he was he was awesome everyone was yeah. awesome you were awesome 
<laughs> and I'm not. Put, I'm never going to put my, myself in the category of some of those guys, though. Like I, I think that even when I'm listening to to your interviews or when I've talked to people that are kind of in that similar category of of stature in the game, it's it's so like you said, so illuminating to to see how they think the game and to I guess it kind of humbles you because, like you said, like you feel like you've you know you do I do have a really good grasp on the game in as a whole and then you speak to someone like that and it's like man like there are people that know more about the game of basketball than you know they've forgotten more about the game of basketball than i'll ever know like and that i guess that's i'm, I'm so jealous that you were able to to just pack a bunch of those interviews into a what was it eight months i think that yes. you said that you're working yes. on this so like it's just yeah it's a crazy amount of of I guess research and, and and just knowledge that that that's built up in your brain now. I think that's the kind of thing that heading into you know heading into the future, you're always going to hold that that dear right, and, and it's going to I guess guide you um, to wherever you go in basketball. No, hundred percent. I mean, like I have so much like just like extra like like side like different things I could write about like just from like different conversations I've had like when I talk to when I talk to talk to coach uh, Jim Les over at UC Davis you know he he played on the jazz during the 90s and he's just like you know he's we spent some time just talking about Carl Malone and John Stockton and you know just because like you know why would you want to talk about those guys yeah and you know now I'm like curious to kind of go back and like watch the film and like see like you know what he was talking about but um yeah just so much yeah. like so many cool lessons learned from those guys and I'm forever grateful to all of you guys yeah, well, the the person, the player that we spent most of our time talking about was, of course, a Kevin Garnett because that is the only player worth talking about in terms of Minnesota um, Timberwolves basketball. Um, I You can't obviously give away any of your list at the end of the podcast or kind of how things unfurl, but what... How much different do you think about Garnett now that you spoke to all these people about him? How much higher or lower does he rank in your in your mind? Like, what are your overall Kevin Garnett thoughts now that I guess you've researched him more than more than just about anyone has? Yeah. Um. So like, I feel like Garnett is the perfect litmus test for like, okay, this is how how much a guy knows about basketball or a person knows about basketball. So like, you know, super super like you know casual fans who aren't really intimate with the game. They probably don't know who Kevin Garnett is. You know, they know who, like, MJ, LeBron, Steph. Um, yeah. But, um, and then you get to, like, you know, the the pretty serious basketball fans, the ones who watch it, and they, you know, they keep up with stats and all that stuff, but they don't really, really watch the way me and you do. They probably say, like, okay, Kevin Garnett's, like, a Hall of Famer, but he's, like, you know, he's, like, Ray Allen and Pierce, like, that level of guy. Yeah. And then there's, like, the junkies, okay? And those guys know, like, Okay, this guy was literally just whittling away in Minnesota for years. Like we, we lost the chance to watch one of the fifteen greatest players to ever grace the hardwood because he was, you know, just surrounded by bad teams in Minnesota. Because his game is like he's arguably one of the seven or eight most scalable guys the league has ever known. Like he can, he can play alongside sure. almost anybody. His passing is. Is, is really guard level um his instincts on defense are he has probably the best instincts of any of the great big men his mobility really the only things that the only things that um are like his downfall are 
he doesn't have like a mechanism for constantly generating easy looks around the rim, which is why he has like lower foul rates than most of the all-time big men. And then on defense, I think he was a little bit susceptible to strength, which for his era is like kind of a big deal because, you know, they were like just baller, bra- um, brawlers and bruisers in that era, you know, just banging in the low post. But um, yeah. no, he was the guy who like, I think this project really took me from, you know, the really serious guy to the junkie. And that that was like my mm-hmm. my rite of passage was learning how good at basketball Kevin Garnett was. So he's definitely the guy <laughs> that like him and David Robinson took the highest jump in my all-time rankings during this series. Yeah, well, it's it's a good point you make because it's, it's the intangible stuff that stands out to guys who are basketball junkies and not guys who are kind of watching the game just with an eye for everything and with a you know, an eye for entertainment over, I guess, uh, you know, really deep thinking basketball, which is completely fine as well. Like if that's the way that someone watches basketball, I think there's times where I watch the Timberwolves and I wish that I could take a step back and just look at it for entertainment purposes and not for for actual, you know, deep thinking and, and a real love for the game and, a, and an obsession with the game. But Garnett is the personification of, a player who does all the things that go under the radar or did all the things that go under the radar. Um, the the defensive communication is... He's the first player that really opened my eyes to how important it is to have a communicator defensively and to have someone who can who can marshal the troops on defense. I, I just think that now, now that's something that I always kind of factor in to when I'm evaluating a defensive player, especially a big, and, and how they can... can get their teammates involved without like with just with their voice and with their actions and uh, KG was was the guy who yeah really opened me up to that and then like you said just the the scalability that he has is I, I don't think people understand how good KG would be in today's NBA like he shot constantly shot you know 18 20 footers which would be threes now like if I think that most of those older guys, even your, your Jordans and Kobe's, like I think they'd all be really good three-point shooters if they were kind of geared towards practicing and, and towards doing it in games more often like players are today. And then, yeah, Garnett had the guard-level ball, had the guard-level playmaking and, and, and vision like you like you stated. And the defense and the rebound, such a good rebounder. Uh, and then, like you said, I don't think he really had... I think he had a go-to move that, that kind of post-shimmy fadeaway was, yeah, was probably that- his... That was like I don't know. I feel like that was a low percentage shot though. Like for him, it was a good shot. Yeah, but like, yeah, exactly. End of the day, yeah. you know, it's if you're not shooting it at Dirk efficiency, you probably like mm-hmm. it's not a great shot. You know. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's that's his downfall if you're talking about greatest players ever. Is because at the end of the day, all the intangibles and all that little stuff matters a lot. But like if you, like the greatest scorers ever, the most dominant scorers, the guys who can grab a, a game by the scruff of the neck with their scoring package are the guys who will always elevate themselves above the others. And the best players ever can do that while doing all those other little things. Like Michael Jordan was the best, probably the best scorer of all time, but also did all those other little things. And and Kobe did those things. And and Steph Curry does those things. Like KG, I don't think had that level of scoring package where he could give you 45 on any given night, but he had those intangibles probably more than any other guy where he could give you 25, but you just felt like he was everywhere on the court at every moment and, and always kind of giving 100% and, and all these 
great player that gave 100%, but AG kind of felt like he gave 110%, even when it maybe it wasn't worth it. Maybe he could take a play or two off, and he just never did. And, and that was all the way until he was 39 when he came back to the Timberwolves. Like, the best season of Carl Anthony Towns' career defensively was next to KG in his rookie season. And that was because KG is just that backline communicator, quarterback kind of guy. Like, uh, I miss watching Kevin Garnett. I mean, I'm looking at Kevin Garnett frame right here in front of me and it's like it brings back memories I just kind of think how good he would be in today's NBA is is crazy to think about because like do you agree with that do you think that he would be better worse the same in today's NBA well okay so think about this in the bubble Anthony Davis shot the mid-range shot at a rate he's never shot at before in his career right and people were starting to say okay with all the defensive stuff combined with that mid-range shot He's the second best player in the world after LeBron. You heard a lot of people saying that. Mm-hmm. Kevin Garnett yeah. always had that jump shot. It wasn't like an anomaly. Yeah. It wasn't a, a heat check, you know, a couple months. Like, he always had that jump shot. Like, I honestly believe, like, I, I'm probably going to get, like, ripped to shreds, but he, like, in that 2020 season, that 2019-2020 season, if LeBron's the best player in the world and you, like, take Garnett in his peak and you drop him off there, he's probably the second best player in the world that year. There's, there's, I don't think there's anyone in the NBA that could guard. Like you hear the phrase "guard one to five all the time, and it's such a misnomer. I think because like there really isn't anyone. Like maybe Ben Simmons is the closest, but even then, like I don't think Ben Simmons can technically guard one to five. Like Kevin Garnett literally guarded one to five. Like there was games where Flip Saunders would have him pressure at ninety four feet on the on the point guard, and then drop off when it got when they got to the three point line and go, you know, switch up back onto the big. Like, that's unheard of, man, these days. And and I, I don't think maybe he wouldn't be able to do that as often in today. Like, the guard play in today's NBA is just insane. But, like, that's the kind of versatility that we're talking about when we say such a versatile defender. Um, I, I don't see that around these days. No, I mean, in like with Ben Simmons, and this is like with all great defenders, there's like a certain style you can counter Simmons with. Like, I think... The, the elite level, like speedsters, are a little too fast for Simmons. And then the strongest big men are just a little too strong for Simmons. It's And they were with KG, mm-hmm. like you said. No, I mean, but here's the thing, the though, beats. with KG. I think that the elite level speedsters, I think he had a little bit more lateral quickness than Ben does now. And I think he'd probably be able to follow them around better. And I, I think there's, there's, there's like, not other than Embiid, like how many like other like power punching like low post warriors do you really know right. at an elite level today? I feel like Garnett would probably be able to guard most fives in this. Um, and there's so much less post ups as well. Mm-hmm. Like there's just so much less post ups in today's NBA. So the strength aspect, like you said, unless unless you're talking about Embiid, there isn't many guys who play back to the basket for you know twenty, thirty, forty percent of their possessions. And the thing that with Garnett compared to Simmons, and I don't want to make this about Simmons because, as you probably know, Timbal's Twitter and Timbal's no, podcast I, I, are talking I, about Simmons I haven't Simmons heard anything, enough. man. I haven't heard anything about oh, it. Oh, man. It's, t- <laughs> it's Ben Simmons' mania at the moment. But um, the thing with, with Garnett that kind of separated him from, from those versatile, I guess, one to four defenders is the fact that he could block shots really well. Like, Simmons, isn't, Simmons is big enough to block shots, but Kevin Garnett was a shot blocker. Like, if he's rotating from the weak side, he will block your shot. You know, like, he's not going to bang with a big guy, but he can come over from a power forward and block that shot. And uh, and then oscillate in the same game 
to to guarding a one or to guarding a guy coming off 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 pin downs, you know, a, a three or a four coming off pin downs. Like it's just the yeah, insane defensive versatility and a guy that I don't think we'll ever see another facsimile of him ever again. Yeah, I mean, we've been hoping for Anthony Davis to turn into like the next evolution of that, but I mean. And I don't want to make this like about the he's he's cut differently because I think it's kind of like a, a silly argument to make. But like Garnett was actually cut like mentally differently than yeah. Anthony Davis yeah. is like objectively. Yeah. But um, I was gonna. Yeah. There. Yeah, I was gonna say to you. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. You made me forget it. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> oh. This is gonna kill me. Okay. Let's let's just keep going, man. It's gonna hit me. Wait. <laughs> well, no. No. I remember now. Okay. So. Here's what it is. All right, okay. go, go, go. You just said like nobody posts up anymore, but don't you think people should? Like I've been thinking about it. People should post up again because like it would be so easy if you can get if you're like strong enough to get an advantage on your man for them to send a double team. Like that's the easiest like kick out, pass, pass, open three in the corner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why aren't people well, doing that, it anymore? That's what Chris Finch in Minnesota's head coach uh, pretty much instilled a post up centric system with Carl- with Carlos and his hounds when. He arrived and he's spoken about it publicly that he likes to have Towns in the post. Obviously, Towns is going to shoot threes. He's going to shoot eight, nine threes a game and he's going to make 40% of them. And that's probably the most dangerous offensive skill that he has at his size and and, and the versatility shooting. He can come off screens, come off pin downs, and, and he does. Um, but Finch likes to have him in the post because like, you have to run a double at Towns. You have to run a double at MB. Like, you have to run a double at really guys with really good touch around the rim and who know post work post up footwork and if those guys can pass which cat can like it just opens up the entire floor like you said swing swing hit a three or, or straight bullet pass to to the weak side corner like that's the kind of stuff that really breaks a defensive shell and if you skip you know you skip the the steps of having to to kick it back out and find the open man if you have a big who can find that open man who's two or three passes away, like from a post-up, from a post-up double team. That really is some of the most effective offense in the league still because like what do, what do teams want? They want shots at the rim or they want open looks from three. If you're guarding towns or other good post-up bigs in single coverage, you're getting a shot at the rim. And if you guard them, you know, if you double team them, you, 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 a lot of the time you can get an open look from three. So but I completely agree. And I think that, Eventually, I think we will see it come back, but only if we see players coming out of high school and college who have that that post up now and that post up footwork and and the soft touch around the rim. Because if you don't have one, if you don't have one of those guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. But the rare guys who can do it, I think, can really you can really run an offense through that. Yeah, I just wonder if um if Finch is gonna keep up with that this season is what do you think they're going to do about Edwards like how is Edwards going to work in that because I feel like he he likes to have the ball in his hands you know I, I don't know uh one second we'll take a break because we gotta get some ads okay. in here and I know that we're going to get into some wolf stuff but we'll take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some perfect some modern day wolf stuff rather than some KG stuff you ready showtime on May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, uh, we are back. You said before, give me your question that you said just before the, the break, and, and we'll get into some more stuff. Yeah, so, like, I'm just, like, because we were just talking about it right now, and, I, I, you know, obviously you know much more modern-day Timberwolf stuff than I do, and historic <laughs> stuff for that reference. And you kind of brought it to my attention that Finch is trying to bring, like, more post-ups in to Minnesota, and I really like that idea. I think he's really smart for that, and it's probably why he's an NBA coach, and I'm not. But uh, I'm wondering, like, how Edwards is going to fit in that. Because, like, I don't see Edwards as the type of guy you can, like, right, like put him on a pin down, have him drive to the rim or, you know, dribble handoffs or whatever. I just don't see him as that type of player. So, like, do you do you think he can become that type of player? Like, how are those two going to work together? Yeah, I, I think for Edwards, the main thing that, that I guess is good for him but also bad because sometimes it doesn't jive with, with Cat is that he needs the ball in his hands. And I think that he's best when he can create space for himself either for a jump shot or especially to get downhill and he's a ridic- just a ridiculous athlete man like i would i don't think it's bias of me to say that he's probably one of the, the best five athletes oh, in, the, in the league yeah. like the the combination of speed like he in the open floor when he and this remi- reminded me of Wiggins a little bit but Wiggins never did it is when they actually like kick it into sixth gear on the fast break like they, Anthony Edwards is so fucking fast, man. Like, that's it's a different level of speed, and and he's also you know two hundred and thirty pounds. Finch said the other day that that he's six foot six now. When he reported back, you know, to to camp, he's grown two inches. Like, he's a special athlete, and, and that's a guy who can get off you know forty forty inches off the ground, off two feet, like real quick. So. Uh, I think if you get him downhill, that's ideal, and, and that's the thing. I've like I've really. I've been a guy who's definitely not afraid to criticize Timberwolves coaches because I think there's been a lot of bad ones over the journey. Um, I haven't seen, I've, we've only seen 41 games of Finch, but as you know, I, I'm a very big X's and O's guy. Um, and like, I love what Finch does. I absolutely love it. I love the, the sets he runs to get Anthony Edwards going downhill, but to get him going downhill off one or two dribbles. That's where he's at his best. Like if you can run, if you run like these horns actions where he kind of like horns cross, it's Colby cool, comes off the the horns action, gets a screen, curls into the paint, and all we have to do is catch the ball, take a dribble, and go up. Like that's the kind of stuff I, I envision Edwards doing. I think Edwards and Towns can work well in a pick and roll, but also really work like mutually exclusive, where Towns can do his thing offensively, and then other sets you run specifically for Edwards and Towns is just kind of a. a, a a cog in the machine that gets Edwards an open look. That's that's when I think they're at their best. Yeah, no, honestly, like I was like kind of like pontificating over this the other day in anticipation for our podcast because I knew I knew we would talk yeah. about Anthony Edwards at some point. But I was thinking like, and you make like a really good point where you put him in these positions where he doesn't have to think too much because I do think like mm-hmm. 
there's like he is like you know a freak like like a legitimate freak athlete. Like I thought for a second you were going to say he's the he's the best athlete we've seen since LeBron came out in 2003 and I was about to agree with you when you said it cuz that's how much of a freak <laughs> he is. But um the thing Yeah, is, I did say, I said something like that during the season and I got slammed on Twitter. I think I said that he was the best in the NBA and I got roasted on Twitter, so I decided to just steer away from that yeah, one. Twitter is mean, man. They're brutal. They're like the, especially if you get like the I learned this the other day cuz I made a comment about so I said like okay, and I think I feel like I'm right here. Like so, Terrence Mann had an anomaly shooting game. Okay, and if that doesn't happen, like the Utah Jazz very well could have won the NBA championship. Like I, mean, I feel like that's a fair thing to say. And I guess somebody yeah. from Suns Twitter got a hold of it <laughs> and literally for two days. Oh, Suns Twitter is savage, man. Suns Twitter is savage. Two days straight, I'm getting torn to shreds. <laughs> Okay, it's just awful, but that's. Yeah, I think I said I think I said something about Jay Crowder during a Wolves Suns game during the season, just about how much I don't like Jay Crowder, and it was the same thing. Like I had, I had DMs, I had like I had to mute that that tweet. I had like fifty Suns fans kind of tearing me to shreds. So yeah, no, they they can they're a passionate bunch over there in Phoenix. Yeah, but um, so I say this all to say that like I feel like there's like a a ceiling on his his creation ability just because he doesn't have the reps like he didn't start like he's not like you know quote-unquote like junkie like from when he's like six seven where he's seen so much game film and i feel like that's something that and we've seen in the past with those guys who pick up basketball late i see it with Embiid honestly like like people always talk about like you know it's all simmons fault that those two don't work together there's so many times where like Embiid could like i see a play and like okay maybe Embiid should have drove left here instead of right because like Simmons is right there. Like, you know, there's things that Embiid could have done that could have made them gel better together. But I think that's a similar thing with Edwards. And I, I like the idea that you just kind of um, you gave. And again, Chris Finch has probably thought about it because he's, he's an NBA coach. But um, just like put him in a lot of places where he ha- he can make like really quick decisions without having to think too much about it. Yeah, I think that was the difference between Saunders and Finch is that they both obviously saw Edwards' talent and, and Saunders was there when they drafted him, so he was obviously probably a, a pretty big proponent of, of drafting him. But he's you're right, his feel for the game isn't at the level like you, you compare him to LaMelo Ball, who are, you know, two picks away and, and the top two rookies of the class and, and LaMelo Ball has that I've been playing since I was five years old kind of feel for the game. Uh just a ridiculous um, now, and the way he thinks the game is just otherworldly, and that's that's really his best skill, and that's what kind of feeds into all his other physical and uh, attributes and and other things he can do on the court. It's all based around feel, whereas Edwards is still based around physicality, around his his athleticism and his strength, and that I think offensively can get you in trouble, but mainly I think it gets him in trouble defensively because that is all defensively is all feel and all kind of thinking the game and doing the right things all the time because if one link in the in the chain is broken then the, then the whole fence falls down like and and there was just really bad defensively last season like i think offensively he started out as someone who was i guess wading through through really deep water and, and, and doggy paddling trying to trying to survive in the end he was swimming you know like he averaged 23 5 and 5 or whatever in the last 20 games he, he was hitting the three. I think he's le- he got his legs under him as a, as a three-point shooter and as someone who I think really learns quickly offensively, which is like Embiid, although he probably did start the game later than most, 
he just has that that knack for for picking up things offensively really quickly and, and I guess sussing out his competition and then learning to dominate them. Um, I think he did that throughout the season steadily, and by the end of the season, he was really really good, like really good. Just in, not even for a rookie, just for a for an NBA player. But defensively is where I that feel that you talked about and that that I guess thinking the game or at, at all times. That's where it really. It really shows its ugly head is is the miscommunications, the closing out too hard on guys who aren't three point shooters. You know, don't like letting a guy get you back door, ball watching. Like that's the stuff that Edwards, for the team especially, I think offensively he'll figure it out throughout his career. But if he can get to you know fiftieth percentile as a defender rather than than fifth percentile, not only is the team going to be better, and therefore he'll get all the accolades that he probably wants individually. Um, but he's going to be better, obviously, as a two-way player, and and that for me is the step that I want to see him make because I'm pretty I'm pretty damn confident that he's going to be a really good offensive player. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you there. Um, and that's the thing. Like I was talking about it with um, I can't remember who, but we were talking about like you know the guys who usually are the best passers turn out to be like really good positional defenders. So I guess it's about him learning and like being in those situations. And that was the one thing, you know, I was talking about what coach, uh, coach McCaffrey taught me during a conversation. He's like, you know, Matt, you can't, you can't practice the pocket pass. Like you just got to do it like over and over in the game. Cause you got to, you have to feel every situation. You need to know what it's like to like, you got to know what's happening for this specific moment for you to do what needs to be. That doesn't even make sense because that's, that's the thing about the pocket. pass. You can't even talk <laughs> about the pocket pass. You just got to let it happen yeah. to you, you know? Um, there's so many different outcomes. And that's the thing with Ed, that's the thing with Edwards is it's it's not good as for the team that that these rookies are getting so many on ball reps, but like there's nothing more valuable for a guy like Edwards who has that star potential to be on a team that just gives him heaps and heaps of reps for the first season. Like you saw throughout the season that that those passes, the passing windows almost became a little bit wider for him. Like the the shots around the rim became a little bit easier. The rim protectors felt like they became a little bit smaller just because he was doing all that little minutia that, that made life easier for him. And at the end of the day, he was hitting Townsend pocket passes. He was finishing at the rim over over Jared Allen, over Joel Embiid. Like, where at the start of the season, it was he's waiting too long for that pocket pass and the window's gone. Or he's trying to go through Embiid rather than, you know, taking that one extra dribble to get around him or to use his his body strength to kind of bounce off him and get a layup. Like for Edwards, I think that's, that was the most, the thing I'm most impressed about with Edwards is that for a guy who I thought would really struggle offensively in his first season, I I was just super surprised at how quickly he seemed to pick up things and then almost master them on the fly. Yeah, no, those are all great points. And especially the cool thing about him is since he's like a guard forward, like he doesn't, he doesn't need to be like a defensive anchor type. Like he just has to be able to fit within a team. Like he has to be yeah. on a defense that can be like twelfth in the league or eleventh in the league. If he was like, yeah, that- you don't want. I don't think I, you don't want him to be a point of attack guy mm-hmm. or a rim protector. Obviously, you just need him to be able to to hold his own as someone who's probably guarding the third or fourth best player on the offense on the opposition's team. Like you're not going to see him. And and the, and the Wolves with with Jaden McDaniels, who's their other rookie, like. He's the guy who they're grooming to be the guy who guards Kevin Durant, you know. Like, whereas Edwards is the guy who you need to stick him on a, on a, in a corner or stick him somewhere else. Like, you can hide him defensively, but you can never hide someone if they're still not doing the right things right. You know, they still need to be able to tag the roller. They still need to be able to rotate. You know, when when teams are xing out on defense, like 
all those things you can't ever avoid just doing the the defensive basics, and I think that's what he needs to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's not like like there's a hard. It's going to be tough for the Denver Nuggets to ever build an elite defense because you know Nikola Jokic with all his offensive stuff, like he's never going to be like a great defender. And then in Atlanta, like the thing with Trey Young is, no matter how hard he tries, like his physical stature, like like limits him and so Edwards doesn't have like the physical stature limitation because he's you know we just talked about he's athletic freak and now he's six six supposedly and then he's never going to have to be your anchor either because he's not a center so I mean they could I yeah. feel like they can make it work but I hear you guys like in Minnesota really love McDaniels man is he is he really that good yeah well <laughs> he's got the Minnesota small market kind of touch to him where he's definitely probably getting overrated to what he is but as someone who I feel like is is a, as much as a, of a realist as you can be while also being a big fan of the team. Like, I think if you haven't watched much of him, I guess you kind of think a Robert Covington style player, like really, really good shot blocker, like six foot ten, a small a six foot ten small forward. Like he'll play small forward next season, and he should play small forward. Hit you know thirty seven percent of his threes on I think three or four attempts a game. Uh, and and has a lot of on the ball defensive chops as well. Like I think throughout the from the difference between Saunders and the Finch eras is that he was used as a as a weak side shot blocker kind of for Saunders and a guy who can just rotate over. He's got a really quick like really quick leap. Like he gets off the floor really quickly. He can double jump really quick to to impact multiple shots in one possession around the rim. Uh, but then Finch kind of shifted and stuck him on Luka Doncic and, and James Harden and guys at the point of attack and he really held his own. Like, I think there was one game where Luka might have scored like nine points on a three of 15 shooting, all guarded by McDaniels. And, and look, that could be an off night, you know, but he kept doing it every game. He was he was really giving guys problems. Uh, he's got no off-the-dribble equity at all offensively. Like, he can't take more than four dribbles, but he can hit threes. He can, you know catch lobs and do stuff around the rim where he doesn't have to do any creation and then he can defend bigs and smalls and and that's kind of where the the optimism comes i think yeah and you you compare him to covington but covington's never been like a a really strong point of attack defender yeah so that's cool man that he's doing this stuff on the weak side helping out the nail like that too you know i haven't watched much mcdale's most of the time i'm watching the timberwolves you know, I'm, I'm looking at Anthony Edwards or Cat. Yeah, or, yeah. Or I, I really like he's watching Malik Beasley guys, for like some reason. Like we said, that you have to be. A, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of those guys where you have to be the bar, the Timberwolves junkie, like we said, because you have to watch all the little things he does. Whereas when you're watching the Wolves, you're watching Cat. You know, Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, Edwards. Like you're watching the guys who can score and do the things that you watch game for entertainment for. You know, like. Um, Beasley intrigues me. Like I don't know if he'll start or he'll he'll come off the bench. I kind of want him to come off the bench just for some some defensive versatility in the starting lineup because he's not a good defender, but like he's a great three point shooter, and you can't get enough of those. Yeah, he'll start at Philly. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> if that means Simmons is in Minnesota, I hope so. Um, before we get out of here, I guess first give me wait first give me a a prediction for Minnesota what do you think Minnesota is going to be next season oh. I guess wins and losses or just like seed or how do you see them going oh man that is I mean because I mean any day now <laughs> we could find out that it's going to be Simmons Edwards and cat but um it's like uh you know Mark Schlinder just tweeted out right now a couple like an hour ago he goes you know it's like a bloodbath in the west and he is like a hundred percent right like the western conference is 
I don't know, man. Like, I, we were just talking so optimistically about them, and like, I'm really excited for them this season. But oh, man, if they if they made, I think the most optimistic evaluation of that team, and let me know if you agree with me, is like, you know, they're like fringe playing team caliber with the current roster. Yeah. But right now, I probably seem like yeah. what 12, think- 13. I have them optimistically at, at nine or ten. Like I think they can be a player in team. I'd be. I think there would have to be a lot of things that go wrong with other teams for them to like be an outright playoff team. I'm. I'm. I'm like I just finished writing about kind of their shot profile and and all the things that they did after Finch got there, and especially in those last twenty two games, which is when Russell was back and and Towns was healthy and Edwards was kind of breaking out. Um, and they're doing. They're doing all the right things. They're they're right at the top in kind of in terms of like free throw rate and and getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. Um, they just got a bunch of three like Pat Beverly can shoot. Torian Prince is just like if you if you're upgrading kind of Jarrett Culver and and Juancho Hernan Gomez and and Ricky Rubio with guys who can shoot the ball better. I just think inherently that makes you a little bit better because um, I think they will still lean into their offense, but they're also probably going to be one of the worst defenses in the league. So you know you you weigh those things up together and I think you're kind of middle of the pack bit lower than middle of the pack in the in the west so yeah I think I want them to at least play play in basketball I'll say that and, and I'll probably be pretty, pretty disappointed if they don't yeah I mean you just got to like kind of do like who are they definitively better than I mean right I, I don't know like off the top of my head I mean the king I want to say the kings right they're definitely better than the kings um Maybe the Pelicans. Thunder. See, I don't know. I heard. The, I just heard earlier that Jackson Hayes is like knocking down threes. Apparently, so I don't know. What to, I don't know about the Pelicans. Silly season. But um, uh, yeah, I think they're in the Pelicans, uh, kind of Memphis tier of teams. I think Memphis got worse. I think New Orleans got better. Um, I think they're better than the Spurs, the Kings, and the Thunder Rockets, and the Rockets yeah. for sure. Um. So that probably leaves them like you have to, if you can beat out, if you can find a way to be better than like one or two games better than the Pelicans and, and Memphis, um, then that's probably the way that you get to like ninth or eighth maybe or, or tenth. Like that's, you have to be better than those teams and I'm not sure if they are. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Um, before we get out of here, give me one more plug for the quest for the best. I, I, I can't recommend this enough to my listeners and to guys who kind of, to anyone who wants to get a really good grasp on basketball history, it's not just a, you know, this guy's better than this guy kind of debate. Like, this is a, an in-depth look at, at at the best players ever. And if you can't really appreciate the best players ever, you know, it's hard to appreciate the players now. And so so give me one more plug, a, a comprehensive plug, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, I mean, the best way you guys can help me out is to follow me on Twitter, at Mattisa15, um, that's, you know, at M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. And from there, you can see in, like, my bio, there's a little link to the Captivate account that basically directs you to whichever podcast platform that you prefer to listen to your podcasts. I'm not um, I'm not biased towards any of them. Any podcast platform would be nice. But, yeah, just check out The Quest for the Best wherever you get your podcasts. There's a Twitter account for it as well, at the, at the underscore Quest 6, if you want to follow that. But um, yeah, man, Jake, thanks for having me on. I had a lot of fun talking. Yeah, same, man. Uh, we've been kind of, it took us a while to, to organize a date and a time that worked, but I'm really happy that, that you came on and I really recommend people to go and listen to your podcast and follow you on Twitter because it's not just the podcast. You're also a really good writer and you're a really good NBA, just Twitter follow in general. So 
thanks for coming on, man. Like, I, I hope we can do it again sometime. Oh yeah, for sure. Please, please let me be on next time. Uh, <laughs> next time uh, when uh, I don't have a good line, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just have me on, man. <laughs> Uh, all, right, all right. Well, yeah, you can follow him on Twitter, Matty. So follow the, the quest for the best. You can follow my work at houseandrowse.substack.com.au and .com.au. No, not au. Just houseandrowse.substack.com. I was going full Australian for a second then. The, the .au is Australian. Um, don't write in that, but go and follow my stuff. The link will be in the bio for both of, the, both of our works. So go and do that. And thank you, Matt. And I'll see all you guys next week.